Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. And good evening to everybody. Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This is the fifth series and this is number three episode. So welcome indeed to everybody. I know that many of you are regular viewers and some of you might be new. And if you are, welcome to, to this evening. I think it's going to be a really interesting evening. My name's Sue MacDonald and I'm the curator of the Maternity and Midwifery Hour and also the Maternity and Midwifery Festivals. And it's my pleasure to be chairing tonight. This is a treat for me. It really is. Now, many of you who've been following us will know that these sessions were designed during the COVID pandemic as a way of connecting student midwives midwives, maternity service um, support workers, doulas, people who wanted to become midwives, all together because it was a time when it was very difficult for people to get together and get information and continuing professional development. And this was a really good way of doing it. Also, just to reinforce for you, all of these sessions are recorded, just as all of the things for the Maternity and Midwifery Forum are recorded. So if you miss anything or, you know, you get a crisis at home, don't panic because you'll be able to get the recording and catch up later if, if that happens. And it's a fantastic resource if you're doing any, for those who are students, if you're doing a project or if you're a midwife doing a, a further course, lots and lots of information to access. So thank you to Matflix, the video streaming from maternity experts who underpin all of this. Um, and it, it really is good. If you, I almost forgot that people doing revalidation, also good for that, just to keep yourself up to date. Tonight, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Deepa Santosh and Sally Pizarro. And we're going to be looking at nurturing students and qualified midwives. So it's going to be really interesting. I know for many of you, you need a bit of nurturing. We all need a bit of nurturing. And this is what we're going to talk about this evening. Um, but before we do that, we're going to put our guests on the spot as we like to do and ask them to share with us a moment of the week. And I'll start with Sally, who probably wasn't expecting it. <laughs> For a nice fine, I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, well, I wanted to choose two, so that's just not fair. Um, the student, <laughs> student Nursing Times Awards were on Monday, and I, I was judging them, and I was judging the Student Midwife of the Year category. Wow! So for me, seeing all those amazing student midwives, and I mean, it was just incredible that the caliber of, of candidate that came forward to share with us what they've been doing and how amazing they were. Really difficult to choose just one winner, but I'm really, really looking forward to celebrating on the night with them. And then today, um, saying goodbye to the Mary C. Cole Awards as they were. They're now transferring to the Florence Nightingale Foundation and the Mary C. Cole Trust. So it was kind of a, a passing on of the baton with the Mary C. Cole Awards, which I'm really passionate about as well. So there's my two, two amazing moments of this week. Oh, wow. And of course, the Mary C. Cole has been a huge feature in developing leadership 
and leadership skills for midwives as well. Yeah, so. yeah, and championing inequalities and the, the need for diversity and, and supporting those from BAME communities to, uh, to enjoy healthier outcomes, better outcomes. Yeah, that's great. Well, you've passed your baton, or yes. slightly. slightly. I'm still mentoring, it. I'm still mentoring, but yes, uh, no longer Fabulous. the steering group as it was. Fabulous. Well, thank you for sharing those moments. We'll move to deeper now. Deeper, do you have Mine a moment very... to share? Mine is a very um, ordinary everyday student midwives experience. I walked into my first placement for year two. Uh, my head was still a year one, but I walked into it. I thought I'd be smart. I signed up for a night shift and I thought, let me just go in gently. The system is smarter than me. So, so it was a whirlwind. I went in and then the, I don't know when I came out. It was morning. So it was a whirlwind. But the uh, number of uh, women who said the care has been amazing. Uh, we don't know how you do it, but thank you so much for taking care of us. And I think that kind of made, you know, after coming out exhausted, those words still lingering in your head, and it feels really amazing. And my mentor was uh, really wonderful. She made sure I had my one-hour break. She wouldn't for it. Yeah, and I had water with me all the time, so that helped as well. So, yes, it was exhausting, but my first placement night. Fabulous, yeah. fabulous. And sometimes the second year can be quite a challenge as well because it's kind of you're going out of different things, aren't you? So congratulations and thank you for sharing that. It's a lovely because I think that gives you a real flavour of what it like is to be a midwife when you've had a really hard shift. But the women or the families, someone's going to say to you, oh, thank you. And that, that means more, more than anything, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very positive. It's what we need. It's what we need. Now, I, I do thank you both to our speakers. We are moving back to them, so stay tuned, as it were. Um, but I just thought I'd send some good wishes to anyone. As you keep hearing a bit about people who've had COVID, and maybe not so bad, maybe a little bad, but I, I heard it from a, a, a friend yesterday who said he was perfectly fine, felt he had a cold, and then suddenly, whoosh, it hit him. And it really, the, the description sounded awful. So... Please take care if you've got COVID, take care of yourselves and look after people. If you're looking after someone with it, look after them well. Um, and we're sending some healing thoughts to people with long COVID, which is, is awful as well. And I think the, the issue at the moment in the health service is quite complex because there's a feeling that it's kind of all over, only it's not. Because those of us in the health service know that it's not over. Also, it's people still getting the infection, still dying, sadly, or being very poorly. Um, and that makes it very hard on the rest of the service, because obviously there's people off sick or people who are suffering from long COVID. And it's still hard. And it's midwives and student midwives and all of those in the maternity service actually don't forget our obstetrical and paediatric colleagues who are also there and who are also having to kind of work the stress. So I would, wouldn't say big thank you to everybody, but also look after yourselves. If I don't say it before the end of the day, look after yourselves. And moving on a little bit to the news, there seems to be a lot in the news about carbon dioxide and gas prices. And I'm, I'm sure some people are going to be very worried about that sort of thing because that affects your, your financial well-being. Um, 
lot about the politics and everything. And I was just trying to focus more on things that were very maternity and midwifery. And I turned to my little book. This is my favourite book at the moment, Nurturing Maternity Staff. I'm not very far through it. But it was it's by one of the um, speakers we had a few weeks back, Jan Smith, who has written this. And it's really good. And I, I'd commend it to anybody who can beg, borrow, steal. A, no, it's not steal a copy, borrow a copy if you can. Because I think I'm going to enjoy it. It does give you a little health warning to say it's not going to be necessarily comfortable reading all the way through. But then sometimes the good books do take you a little up and down journey, don't they? So I should look. I'm looking forward to that. But. Then this arrived on my desk, safety, equity and engagement in maternity service from the Healthcare Commission. So that's kind of a care quality commission, I should say, sorry. Um, and that kind of pushed my book out of my way because this is very much about the maternity services. Um, and they're highlighting that though there are many maternity services who are doing very well and providing excellent care, just as described by Deepa there, um, there are still some that are need to illustrate their learning from when they, they things don't get things quite right. And in particular, they've highlighted the challenges in maternity care for women from black and minority ethnic groups and the fact they're still experiencing less equitable care and they're still being admitted more um, after their childbirth experience or um, you know, on several occasions. And the um, report, I haven't, I've only skimmed through it first, but I shall read it in depth and, and report more to you next week. But I'd recommend, it's on your list of resources, I'd recommend you get a copy. It's not so long. It's only seven pages or so. So it's not too difficult to read. Very clear, they highlight all the things that we need, like effective teamworking and culture, leadership, good leadership. And we've talked about that for a long time, and we really need that. Um, learning and improvement, learning from your mistakes when you don't get things right, being very honest with people, and then trying to make things better for the next woman, baby, family. Then there's a bit about team training, how we all should be doing the skills drills all together. We, we've been doing that for a while, but some places aren't doing it as well as others. Uh, Emphasising equity in maternity services. And through that, by doing things like re reaching out and reassuring pregnant women from black and minority ethnic groups with tailored communications so they know they are important, they need their care. Um, and Another action that I've kind of popped out at me, ensuring hospitals discuss vitamin supplements and nutrition in pregnancy with all women. Now, that sounds like something you do all the time, but I know if you're very busy and over the last year, it's been kind of different. Maybe some of the things that we always used to do, like talking about what you should be eating and if you're a vegetarian, you need this additional vitamins and that sort of thing. Maybe we need to just revisit, make sure we're getting it right. And continuity of carer, which we'll be looking at in another couple of weeks. We, it's a sort of ongoing discussion for us. Very important for women and for families in making sure they get good care and good continuity and, and quality. And then right at the end, there's a whole section about maternity voices, partnership and engagement. And really getting women's voices out there, which is really important. So that, I would suggest, is going to be your bedtime reading. So... That's going to be my bedtime reading. Now it's for your bedtime reading too. 
Um, okay, and the other, just to reinforce uh, or re reiterate that there is the resources page, which has got some references. There's some um, updated um, guidance papers from the Royal College of Midwives. There's also something from the uh, World Health Organization. There's something from Sally and there's something from Deeper. And Deeper has got this. Is that secret? Oh, I'll come back a bit. Which is quite nice. And you can, it's in a form that you can copy and you can stick on your walls to stay hydrated. So it sounds very simple, but we're going to hear soon. It wasn't as simple maybe to do. So that's it for, for me. I'm going to move now exactly on time just to say that we, well, we know midwives are busy. We've been busy forever. We know we're short of midwives. We've had the discussion for as long as I can remember that we need at least 3,500 midwives. I feel as though we need a lot more. And I'm sure those of you out there feel the same. Whatever country you're in, and I know we have many people from other countries other than the UK. And, and we've been busy and we felt it very much so over this last two years. And with some staff being redeployed, doing immunizations, for example, and some sick, sometimes midwives are having to balance their workload. And you know when midwives are balancing their workload and looking after women, sometimes they don't look after themselves and sometimes they need their colleagues to help them look after themselves. So in this session, we're going to look at some of the implications of not supporting staff and some strategies that you can use with yourself and with your colleagues. So I'm going to start off with introducing Deepa Santosh, who many of you will know because she's a very active tweeter and probably on all sorts of other social media as well. She's a student midwife doing her pre-reg masters in midwifery from Ox at Oxford Brooks. She's also a birth educator, doula, hypnobirthing practitioner and breastfeeding specialist. She started her career as the first doula and birth, active, birth activist in Chennai, India in 2009 and then moved here to London in 2011. And she's worked at, for over 11 years, uh, 10 years, sorry, in maternity care and infant feeding, include, including leading the Baby Friendly Project for London Trust. And she's particularly interested in optimizing normality in maternity care, using quality improvement techniques to enhance every family's experience of maternity services. But she's, we've introduced her, invited her here to talk about some little activity she got up to over the last few months. So Deepa, welcome. Thank you, Sue, that was an amazing introduction. <laughs> Not at all. I, I know that you started a campaign. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what's, why, 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 what started it. It was June and, uh, you know, it was way of near 30 evenings and uh, working in, I was in community at that point in time and I had my cold water bottle with me and, we, and I was seeing how much water we were drinking and then it really struck me that when I was um, on delivery suite, I always saw that the water bottles were outside um, and not in the rooms. And in a previous experience as well, uh, this was something that midwives on delivery suite always said that they could not take their water bottles inside when they were facilitating about supporting a mum. And, and then I just asked around my friends, my classmates, and they did confirm to me that 
no, they could not take their water bottle inside. And many of them were struggling with thirst, um, feeling tired, urinary tract infections and things like that. That's what actually triggered the campaign because I heard from quite a few of them saying they could not have something as basic as water to drink. And it does sound really basic, doesn't it? So, I mean, how did you go about starting it? So what I did was I, of course, I, you know, I, I love Twitter. So I ran a, a survey on Twitter and uh, over 200 midwives, student midwives uh, responded to it, uh, which shocked me, but it was just a small survey, you know, mm. and, it, and more, about 50% of them said, no, we don't have access to drinking water. They did the same thing on Facebook and, you know, other, other social media networks and, uh, I got shocking messages. Somebody, a newly qualified midwife who is actually on the postnatal ward, messaged me to say that was obviously a non-postnatal ward. They weren't allowed to have bottles, um, you know, in the midwife station or anywhere, only in the staff room. And there were only four people who could be in the staff room at one point of time. So throughout the entire 12-hour shift, she didn't have any water. She had had time off because of UTIs. She's very scared of getting another one and started experiencing flank pain and was worried about her kidneys. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So these were the sort of, I even had messages from midwives sending me the picture of their bottle and how much they managed to drink like 100 mils over the whole shift. So these were shocking messages. One person said that uh, the bottles that were outside the rooms were taken away and kept, and they were told they can only keep it in their bags in the staff room. So across the country, I received a number of messages that said exactly the same thing. Gosh, that's amazing. I mean, I've, I've heard of, well, I heard something on, there was a discussion on Twitter a few days ago where someone said they had their water bottle. I see, I, I have mine to illustrate. These are very good. They keep it nice and cold, but no good if you're not allowed to take them with you. But someone said, oh, my bottle was taken away because the, the person in charge decided I shouldn't have any water. So they threw the bottle away. And then there's a whole flurry of people saying, yes, that happened to me. And yes, it was my own bottle. You know, it was a, you know, one of these. They're not Tuttons hate me. It, but some people have an ordinary plastic bottle, whatever. But that's, yeah. It's extraordinary. Isn't it? So, so what was your next step after you had all this data? And I just imagine you tippy-tapping all with you. I don't know if you used spreadsheets or anything like that. Well, I was really upset and, and, um, yeah, and I was constantly thinking about it. I started tweeting um, a series of tweets um, to, first of all, tell people that if the water is their right, it's a human right, and it's of utmost importance that they need it and they can't take no for an answer. It was almost like advocating for midwives. We need to start with ourselves first. So I highlighted what dehydration can cost. It can, you can lose your cognitive abilities. One person messaged me to said she actually collapsed in the room. She didn't have any water. So I started doing a series of Twitter tweets and then I decided to write a letter. So I 
formally put it in writing um, and I wrote and I wrote about all of this to the RCM. I wrote to um, Professor Jackie, uh, Jackie Dunkey Bent, uh, the Chief Military Officer, and um, also wrote to uh, CQC and NHS England. Because normally the reasons that people tell you is, well, the CQC does not want us to have water bottles everywhere, or they would say it's an infection control risk. Um, and particularly during COVID, they said that, well, you, you are ha having to take your mask off so you cannot have water in the room. So then I went about the task of negating each one of those reasons. The CQC was very good. They tweeted straight away to say that they encourage all healthcare professionals, midwives, nurses to have water with them throughout their shift. Mm -hmm. uh, Professor Jackie Jackie Dunkeyman wrote to me to say that um, she was aggrieved to hear of this and she put out a statement. Um, RCM followed that, they put out a statement as well because in their survey last year, it was exactly the same thing. More than 50% of midwives said that they were dehydrated throughout the shift. So what happened from that letter was that um, at the top level, people started putting out these statements. I also shared my letter with everyone so they could use it. So some uh, midwives, student midwives actually took copies of those letters and gave it to their managers to tell them why it's really important that they have their water bottles with them and they need them. Right, okay. That, that sounds like a lot of work and a lot of activity. And you were being popped off with anything deeper. <laughs> no, it's scary. <laughs> It can, it, you know, you can get all sorts of responses, but once you have that fire, that this is something really basic, it's a human right. Yeah, absolutely. And so many people, you know, not knowing what to do about it. And it's actually the health and safety. I mean, as an employer, every trust has a responsibility. They can't say no to that. And that was what I was trying to reiterate. In fact, my own academic lead, she was amazing. She, as soon as she heard about it, she wrote immediately to the ward manager. And surprisingly enough, generally the, the senior people like ward managers, matrons, they don't know about it. And she was quite shocked that this was happening. And immediately we got an email, um, all staff and students, we got an email saying, mm. absolutely, you can take your water with you, wherever you are, whether on delivery suite or personalized reward. So mm. it was quite rewarding. Yeah. So how about, well, I'd say, what do you think the impact has been throughout? Do you, th do you think if you did a survey now, do you think you'd be finding the same thing? In maternity, in maternity. So I think because I think you've concentrated your activities very much and you chose the people brilliantly to kind of really spearhead the initiative through. And as yeah. I said, it, it, it can sound like, it, I mean, it's a basic human right. And it's a bit surprising that people were being refused water. And you kind of think, well, where's that come from? Is it because we as midwives mustn't be seen like normal humans that might need a drink or something to eat or going to the loo or all the things that humans have to do? It's really strange. Sometimes I think it's the culture of the place where you're working at. Sometimes it can be like a power thing. Um, and I believe in uh, flat hierarchies. I believe in compassionate leadership. And something as basic as water 
it's quite stupendous to think, how can you deny a person who's working 13-hour shifts, you know, water and therefore their needs? So, um, yes, it was quite shocking. It's quite basic. But I'm really glad that, you know, um, statements were put out and I hope that it has made uh, an overall impact on people, midwives, student midwives, nurses even, uh, because mm. the same thing, can have their water. Mm. I think you're going to have to be um, harnessed by our nursing colleagues also, and our medical colleagues because I think that's where the, the um, tweet yesterday, a couple of days ago, I saw. But, um, I mean, okay, I'll put you on the spot now, Deepa. What next? There are lots of basic issues. We all know that in maternity. I'd like to control what we can, uh, you know, uh, at what we're doing at our level. Things like, you know, wearing the right shoes. And that's, again, something that I'm really passionate about. You're on, it's compared to actually being on a marathon, like the shifts that we do, the number of steps, like 20,000 steps. Um, and the right shoes are really important. I'm very fortunate where I train, we are allowed to wear, you know, running shoes, absolutely no problem. Of course, it has to be a certain color uh, and things like that. But it is really important because your, your feet, they, are, they can, you know, be so painful and wearing the right shoe makes a big difference. That would be another issue. <laughs> Well, I think that's a well. As uh, now, as a Pisces, I'm always concerned with my feet. It's one of the things about Piscean. So, Pisceans out there, listen to deeper and her feet message because it's really it is really important. And it again, it sounds like something that could be carried forward brilliantly. Thank you so much. Now, deeper, I'm going to let you have a little rest now. But until and any of any of you out there who have a question for deeper, who's really moved this? I mean, it sounds it sounds a very straightforward thing to do. But it took a huge amount of thought thoughtfulness and then organisation sending out all those surveys, making sense of all the stuff coming in, and then activating these formal letters, which is it is a scary thing to do. Whatever line of work you're in, it's scary to be going to the chief midwife and all the people in charge. So well done, Deepa. You've achieved a huge amount. And I can't wait to see your next move. It's going to be fantastic. So anyone who's got a question, just put it into the, the Facebook um, question. It'll come through. This is why I'm looking over here. It'll come through to me um, in about a quarter of an hour's time when we have questions. Okay, so thank you, Deepa. I'm now, I'm now going to move along seamlessly to um, our lovely Dr. Sally Pizarro. Have I pronounced that correctly, Sally? I was yes, 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 yes. That's, that, that's okay. how most people pronounce. Okay. Who is a senior lecturer and is also the academic midwife, known as the academic midwife in her Twitter life, at the School of Nursing, Midwifery and Health Centre for Arts, Memory and Communities. Cracky, that's a, a good heading on a badge. <laughs> at Coventry University. And Sally has been doing a, an extensive amount of work into midwives' well-being, as, as well as other things that she's done in her past that you'll know her from. So I don't want to take any of time because her presentation is quite large. <laughs> And it's really important, just as deep as is. So welcome, Sally, and the screen is now yours. Thank you very much. I'll just start sharing my screen. This is going to be a whistle-stop tour um, because there's so much to say and so much to share. Um, uh, but I'm going to try and talk about, first of all, as Deepa said, you know, you're nurturing yourself 
um, with, with water and things. But there's there's also some evidence-based tips I'll share from um, Jill Mabin and some uh, others doing things with Schwartz rounds and things about what you can do helping each other. So talk talk to your colleagues they may well relate about what you're going through at the moment try and brainstorm problems together um, it's not necessarily about being resilient it's about understanding where you're at um, having some offload sessions where you could just um, get things off your chest with people um, try and boost other people's well-being remind them that they're safe you know to talk with you here in the here and now um, and, and it's really important to be praising other people and giving them positive feedback around this time so that I just wanted to share those tips with you um, as we go through some difficult times um, and if you are asking people how they are there's some kind of tips on how to ask the right questions from um, from Watson in 2020 um, you know what have been your greatest challenges hassles or frustrations what your greatest rewards what does this mean to be in this team um, if you don't know how to respond to someone when they tell you something's been really difficult and um, just acknowledging that it must have been incredibly hard um, and either saying you can't imagine how that must feel or trying to put yourself in their shoes, being compassionate in that way. Um, and you can use prompting questions as well to get people to, to open up a little bit if you think others are struggling at this time. And I just wanted to show share with you some work I've done with that. Uh, other colleagues in the past, um, the, the references are all at the bottom of, the, of each slide I'm talking about, just about what shows workplace compassion during this time. Um, really important that management and leadership um, have no blame, no bullying cultures, investment in staff, recognition that people are human. Um, in terms of value and culture, it's really important to feel heard, enjoy your work, be engaged. Small gestures of kindness are really important uh, and make sure that you've got personalised policies and procedures in place to really respecting people's rights to breaks and, being, and treating people well when they're unwell, uh, that kind of thing there. So just some almost further reading for you, if you like. But I'm really going to focus this on problematic substance use, this presentation, because um, earlier this week we had our research come, uh, come out in relation to midwives problematic substance use and we know that there's um, human and financial costs associated with problematic substance use. Um, I'm a panellist on the Nursing Midwifery Council and we frequently see cases relating to drug and alcohol um, use come, come in front of the panels and it's incredibly sad to, to see uh, and there's not been any research on it uh, in midwifery populations. There's some in nursing, some in doctors, um, but, but the data on midwives is often merged with nurses. Um, and the common findings are really that there's a lack of support, some fear, stigma, denial, unhealthy coping behaviours and need for targeted workplace support. So we're really at the beginning of this journey um, and other people have looked at it before uh, in terms of date, NMC data, but they haven't looked at it in terms of, of what it might mean. So why focus on midwives? Like I said, nurses and doctors have, have some research around this, but we know that the mid midwives have high rates of burnout and traumatic stress, anxiety, depression, um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And these, these are the findings of Hunter, Billy Hunter and, and Helen Spivey and Karen Sheen. Um, I'm sure you're all aware of their work, but, but they kind of set the ground rules really as to, you know, this is why we need to focus on midwives. This is the issue. So when I reviewed the literature with colleagues, again, you can see at the bottom who's, the, who's worked with me on this, um, we only found three studies looking at uh, midwives and substance use 
uh, problematic substance use. And they were in different countries. They weren't in the UK, but midwives generally had harmful daily alcohol consumption. Uh, there was a link between working hours and, and that alcohol consumption. Um, and different features associated with it. And there were student midwives. It was really uh, in terms of student nights and um, and using it to um, escape really from the, the realities of, of what was going on uh, in their training. So there's an ethical dilemma really in looking at this. And we've certainly found it really challenging to study this because of course, I'm uh, a registered midwife and uh, I'm on the NFC panels. And if someone discloses to me that they're, um, they're using substances to cope or they might not be fit to practice. I have a duty to do something about that. So, uh, and so do GPs and, uh, and other people who, um, who understand what's going on. So, you, so it's really difficult for people to disclose without having any kind of um, repercussions, and especially doing this research, I had to make sure that everybody was uh, anonymous, confident, you know, the confidentiality was maintained and I couldn't track anyone, even if I wanted to. Um, so we, we maintain the principles of confidentiality and anonymity so that we could have an amnesty over anyone that, that was involved in this research. And we maintained that throughout um, and we explored that in our ethical paper there at the bottom with again with uh, different colleagues. So just prior to the first 2020 lockdown, so March, um, we, we went to ask people via an anonymous online survey about their um, substance use. So not necessarily if it was problematic, just in general. And 623 midwives um, were surveyed. And we used several tools to look at their, their substance use and, and what the perceptions around substance use was. What did they think about other colleagues? What did they think of themselves? What did they think of it in general, etc. cetera? Um, but we had to stop it, this data collection, just uh, in response to the lockdown, because we knew that that would change things dramatically um, for, for data collection. And again, this has just been published. So it's uh, down at the bottom left there, you can see um, the publication if you want to go and have a look at results in more details but generally just over a quarter of the sample did screen positive for problematic substance use and that was in relation to alcohol and a range of other drugs it occurred really in response to work-related stress they said anxiety bullying traumatic clinical incidents and to maintain their functioning to sleep to wake up that kind of thing uh, and then 11 percent of those affected indicated that they had sought help but 27 percent said they should have done but they didn't uh, and the reasons they said they didn't was because they just feared repercussions, shame, stigma, there were practicalities and perceived lack of support, either that they didn't think it was there or they didn't think it, it was needed. Um, and then 10% of the sample reported that they'd attended work under the influence of alcohol uh, and 6% had attended work under the influence of drugs. So that's obviously got implications for the for the quality of care delivered um, and then 37 percent said that they were actually in, um, concerned about a colleague substance use as someone else they were working with in, in the midwifery profession uh, but most of the perceptions were compassionate um, towards uh, getting people better etc but there were a, a minority of stigma stigmatizing attitudes displayed which actually deterred more midwives from coming forward and seeking help so they were quite dangerous really um, so in turn, I'm just going to share with you a few quotes here because we're so excited to share these quotes because I haven't been able to because it hasn't been published. Um, so this is our, some of our data uh, and, and the reasons for use. They were, they were talking about stigma, 
following traumatic <sighs> incident at work a few years ago, I started using weed and booze to cope. Work is hard. It triggers my anxiety, but I'm trapped. And trapped was definitely a theme they felt because they couldn't seek help. Um, and they just had to keep on coping however they were um, to, to either sleep or work or, or wake up, etc. And then in relation to concern about colleagues, they talk about midwives coming on the early shift after a heavy night drinking. They're shaking, they're impaired, and they're just trying to get through the shift. Um, and then worryingly, colleagues addicted to alcohol have been named and shamed by other colleagues rather than helped and supported. And they've classed that as bullying. Everyone else is looking looking on has learned from that now nobody asked for help so we can see the implications of really not being compassionate towards people um, who are have these um, problematic substance use and they they felt trapped uh, they've seen other people name and shamed rather than help so they can't afford to lose their job or their reputation so they struggle on they don't come forward and seek help um, which is really really scary um, for obvious reasons we can think about the implications of someone practicing um, in this sense. And then these stigmatizing attitudes, you know, there's never an excuse. Midwives impaired by substances should be named and shamed. Um, so this is a senior midwife saying, you know, they should be struck off. There's no room for weakness. Um, people are suspended. They've told the press, you know, they went to the press um, about, about somebody. And I've heard more stories about this since I've been doing uh, the research, more people have come forward with stories uh, of a similar nature. Uh, and then, you know, another midwife just saying, oh, they're just playing the mental health card once they've been found out. It's just an excuse for their own mistakes. Um, so quite difficult responses there. But compassionately, people were saying, um, you know, there's no, they need treatment programs, need help, they need support. I'm really pleased this research is being done. They need to feel uh, that they can seek help. They need to have that reduced stigma uh, because that's going to make maternity services safer overall. If people can get better, get retain their fitness to practice, regain their fitness to practice if they've lost it uh, and continue in our wonderful profession, delivering excellence in care every day. But of course, now we've, we've had uh, the COVID pandemic going on for over a year. It's not over yet, as you know, as we've been talking about this evening. Um, and it's going to have depleted frontline front healthcare workers and there's suggestions in the literature that it may have exacerbated problematic substance use in, in healthcare staff. So we got ethical approval to um, run the survey again. So a second survey, part two, um, which is open now to see um, whether things have changed now, whether people are using, whether midwives are using more substances, less substances um, for different reasons, different, um, different varieties um, and how that's really playing out. So we can start to understand more so that we can start to do more. Um, so we're aiming to identify the rate of problematic substance use this time, explore the leaving intentions of midwives. So, um, you know, are people thinking of staying or leaving in the profession? How, how are they seeking help now? Has the pandemic made them want to seek more help, less help, for what reasons? Um, and how is this affecting their health at the moment? Uh, and then we're going to measure their work engagement as well, how engaged they feel in their work. Um, and we're, we're collecting this data now, as I said, to compare with those last year. Uh, we've been accepted to present our findings at the International Practitioner Health Summit in 2022. So all the results we get from that, all of the um, anonymous uh, responses we get, we will be sharing um, at that Wounded Healer Conference to be held at the Royal College of GPs. And if you decide to um, participate, which I really hope you do, we will ensure that your voice is heard while maintaining your anonymity. We couldn't find out who you were, even if we wanted to. 
And this is the uh, information in the poster. Um, I will put the link to the survey in the chat, in the Facebook chat when I come off this um, call, but it's there and you can follow me on all social media channels and I'll be sharing all the details of it. Um, share it on your social media channels too, please, with um, other midwives so that we can get as many people as possible, whether they use substances or not, just to um, get that data in so that we can really start to, to unravel this picture. It's never been done before, this type of research. And if we start to understand the problem, then we can start to address it um, and make it make things safer for, for maternity staff, midwives and the people in their care. So this second study is uh, funded by the Ilanthi Trust. Uh, we won a Midwives Award for funding study recruitment. So we can go to, I, I could have media training because we anticipate that there might be some media attention around this research. Um, dissemination events so that we can attend conferences and, and get travel expenses paid and bolster future plans really to co-create with um, the Royal Colleges, with the Nursing Midwifery Council, anybody with an interest in this work coming together with us so that we can we can be solutions focused rather than blame focused and probably you know really start to look at the problem. And, and I've whistle stopped through that but I'm really happy to take questions. I'm sure there's been lots going on in the chat. Um, and I will stop sharing now. But thank you. Um, Sue, yes. back here. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you so much. Gosh, that was a whistle stop tour <laughs> because <laughs> there are a lot of there was a lot of information on those slides. And, and of course, just to, to remind people, you'll get all of this again. So you can you can kind of stash this away and look at it at your leisure uh, and especially get some of the references, which are really useful. Um, so this is really hot off the press as well because it's only just out. So really exciting. And thank you so much for sharing that, Sally. Um, just to query about the survey. Is, yeah. this, is this purely for UK midwives? Yeah, for NMC registered midwives, first of all. We have got plans to, we've been in discussions with people in other countries, um, nurses as well as midwives, wanting to work with us to replicate the same survey in different countries so that we can see in different parts of the world how things might differ or change uh, with nurses and midwives being looked at together, but separately, if you see what I mean, um, so that we can perhaps work together on a global solution, because obviously in different countries, people midwives are facing different challenges. Um, and midwives really, has, you know, although we're all midwives, um, in some countries, their role is very different. So we need to take all of those things into consideration when we're looking at um, how midwives might be affected in different ways. But there's certainly um, plans to scale this up globally, um, okay. to, to look at the issue and support midwives with something really concrete. Okay, so is, I mean, is the, the survey purely for people who have a, who are using different substances? And, no. it, and it, I mean, when you start it, you, you might think about your glass of wine that you might have once a week or whatever. <laughs> Well, that's it. I mean, this is loads of people who took our survey last time didn't screen positive for problematic substitutes, and that's fine. And even if you have, you know, a glass of wine in the evening, you won't necessarily be, be scored as having a problem, you know, problematic substance use. It would just be substance use. It's not problematic in any way. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why we want really all of the NMC registered midwives to uh, to undertake this survey, whether they 
teetotal or whatever, um, because then it makes the sample much more representative and we get a much clearer picture of that. Um, so that's what we're really looking for here. And I know it's difficult for some people to, to talk about this or, or be honest or truthful about how much they might be drinking at the weekend or what have you, but there is no judgment, zero judgment, absolutely, from, from me or anyone else. And we couldn't trace you even if we wanted to. We're just interested in understanding so that we can make things safer make and help people where we can. Okay, well, that's fantastic. I think that's very clear uh, for people. So all of you listening, if you're based in the UK and you're on the NNC register, access the survey. How long would it take to complete then, Sally? Um, well, obviously, there's there's options for people to, to write their life story if they want to. Oh, okay. um, but if you But if you're just going to go through it, then it's, it's about 15 minutes, I would oh, say. Oh, okay. okay. But, so but there's, options, there's options to tell us as much or as little as you want. Fabulous. Okay, well, that's really helpful. Thank you. Well, you were saying that there are a few questions coming through. And audience, forgive me if I keep turning away because it's all on my other screen. Having two screens is very delicious sometimes, but it means I have to move away. Um, now, Lorna is asking, she's asking a nice, easy question from me, which is, um, where? what's the title of the books again and where can I get a copy? There's, it's Jan Smith's Nurturing Maternity Staff. And the publisher is, oh, crack, it's Pinter Martin, I think. And uh, available at all good bookshops, including that that one down the river. <laughs> Work that one out. And the other thing is safety, equity and engagement in maternity services. But that um, is not a book. It's just a report and it is available on the resources page, which is available on uh, online now. Okay, and I have a question from Eunice Atsali, hi Eunice, who says, a kind question, maybe is there provision for water dispensers in labour suites? I think there's one for deeper. And I guess that's, that's looking at whether you have some, I mean, some um, delivery suites are very swishy and have big water coolers and others don't have such fancy things, but. What was the question, Sue? The question is, maybe is there provision for water dispensers in labour suites? Um, the thing is, when you're caring, you know, for a, a mother who's giving birth, um, you don't get a water cooler in every room. Obviously, it's a little bit away, probably near the midwife station. And leaving the room as often as you want to, it takes you two seconds to get like a sip of water, but having to leave the room, you know, repeatedly just for that purpose makes it difficult for the midwife. And also maybe the, the mother would also feel, you know, midwife's leaving the room a few times. I mean, it's a very simple solution to have your own water water labelled, closed, put away in the shelf. And you just have to move two metres away, remove your mask, put a straw in, right. the water, put it back. Yeah. As simple as that. I guess one day all the labour rooms will have their own little water cooler. That would be very nice, especially really nice and cool. Thank you for that, Deepa. Okay, the question next is from Helena. Hi, Helena. She says, hi, Sally. Do you think the NMC should register how many clinical hours registered midwives do so that we're more aware of how many frontline midwives we have? 
Um, well, I don't think the amount of hours would tell you how many midwives we have necessarily. Um, and I'm not sure that's the NMC's role to to be doing that. They're the regulators, so they're regulating um, the safety and quality of, of maternity care and the fitness to practice of registrants and maintaining the integrity of the register overall. Um, so I'm not sure that would be useful uh, necessarily. And I'm sure, you know, like there's been lots of research on, on how many midwives are needed. You were talking about it earlier, Sue. You know, I, I agree with you. I think we need more than 3,500. I would like mm. to see um, so many more midwives so that we could support mm. each other and, and we weren't struggling the way we were um, and, and we were being compassionate towards each other. That's what I'd most likely to see, you know, because when we're, when we're under pressure, we're burnt out, we're, we're experiencing compassion fatigue, things. more colleges um, and all the foundations out there that, that are looking to improve the, uh, the work lives of midwives because I'd like mm. to um, yeah make things better overall. Mm. And remember I guess that I mean if you have snapped at someone you can feel awful about it and then you avoid yeah. you avoid them afterwards whereas you should just say oh crikey I'm so sorry and then just take it with one I really like that slide you have Sally with the things that you can think about right at the beginning that was a really good good kind of pointer for us to think yeah about. They, you know I've, I've taken them from other webinars i've been at and other conferences um just evidence those evidence-based tips I, I put into as many presentations as i can because i just think um they're just so simple but make such a difference to look after each other and ourselves okay claire dale says am i right in thinking your survey is only open to fully qualified midwives not students uh, at the moment, that is a good question. Um, at the moment, yes, but I'm trying to connect with as many student midwives as I can um, because you're all going to be, you know, fingers crossed, on the register um, one day. And also we have plans to, to write books and put together collations of things for, for people to survive and thrive throughout their midwifery journey. Um, so this survey, no, not, not for students at this time, um, but we will be working with students in future, definitely including them. Uh, and I want to, to connect with them along the journey so that we can work together to, to make the journey as amazing as it should be, because you're full of hope. Uh, you know, Student Nursing Times Awards at the beginning of this week, the Student Midwife of the Year is phenomenal. They all were phenomenal. You are all phenomenal. So I want to keep you that way throughout. Yeah. I don't want you to see you get burnt out as you progress. I don't want to see that compassion for two uh, creep in so I'm definitely doing all I can um, to do to, to help with that so really for the most important thing I guess for students is to be reading some of these materials some of you might want to do this as part of a, a, your dissertation work or a project work but it certainly is important to know that this information's out there and it's going on because that makes you around your midwife ultimately because you know the stresses you can't hide from the fact it's a hard job it's a hard role and there's difficult times but you also have to be aware that it's also a great job and a great role and there are great times it's just making sure we kind of reconnect those bits so thank you Claire for that question really good question Nim says that was brilliant thank you Nim could you share your presentation slides please they will be available to everybody um, 
after the the event. These will be coming out over the airways, or not just the airways, the vision rays or the um, Facebook over the next um, few days. So you will have access to those, all of them, for all the way through. And I did have another query for it, for it also, because I know I, I, the funny thing is, I also, um, again, on Twitter, I'm not saying I'm addicted to Twitter, but I probably because <laughs> I had I picked up a, 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 a clip this morning because I know that in parts of the country, things are really hard and midwives are really unhappy and stressed. And Leah Hazard who um, many of you will know as an author also and is a practicing midwife in Scotland. I think she's in Scotland. She asked over 3,000 midwives and students what they needed. And they said a bursary paid breaks, flexible shift patterns, an urgent review induction policies, managers who do clinical shifts too, and suspension of a continuity of care. Now, the last one, I'm not sure, but, you know, if people are feeling, that's the way people are feeling, that it's, there's too many things going on. I don't know, what do, What did you think of that, Sally? 3,000 midwives, that's what they're saying. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really kind of quick poll, isn't it, on Twitter? And, and that's why social media is so great, because we can just connect to get quick fire. Come on, what do we need to do? What do we need? It's brilliant. Um and yeah, I think that's really good feedback to give back to anyone in policy decision making um, areas. I think there's a real swathe now of people focused on midwives, recognising that they need to be valued. We need to be seated at more tables, have more leadership positions in academia, clinical areas, all of that, um, so that we can we can make it happen you know these things that we're saying and that some of it's difficult really difficult the research we've done is so uncomfortable it's so challenging but it's worth it because we deserve all of those things ultimately we deserve it we're awesome i almost want to finish there but we can't yet <laughs> how about deeper i mean i know i would I, would, I bet if you were asked the question what you need now as a student midwife I bet you'd say the bursary because I think that's a big thing and a big thing, a big important thing. That you, there's just one more thing to worry about, isn't it? Yeah, I will have a forty thousand uh, <laughs> loan on my head as I qualify. I mean, what a huge number! Uh, and uh, I had to look past that to actually have the will to get into the course because that was. A big obstacle and at some point you put it behind you and say okay i will deal with it when i have to because my love for me be free over to that but yes a bursary would have been brilliant mm. that's a that's a huge thing as well i mean what that says to me this whole thing is that what we want is people who are listening to us because this this uh, comment about managers who do clinical shifts and many managers do do clinical shifts to be fair but it it, it kind of makes me think some midwives are feeling some these they don't know what it's like and many of them do know what it's like but then the midwives aren't feeling it i don't know if you wanted to make a comment on that deeper or sally having worked in that uh, 
couple of London Mentality Trusts. I think communication is really important. I think when you're on on a, a shift, like twelve and a half hour shift, you're not really thinking about what's happening behind the scenes and they have their roles, their responsibilities, and the people they are answerable to as well. Uh, but I think communication from senior management to the people who are there during their shifts is really important to say, this is what we're doing to make things better for you. And yes, it's important to be visible where people are working. Mm. No, that's beautiful. Actually, but that's beautifully put. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just che checking if there's any more questions coming through. Uh, Juliet Samuel is saying, are we able to... Hi, Juliet. Is she saying, are we able to utilize Sally's top tips as posters for notice boards within our clinical areas? Um, well, I don't see why not. I mean, I've credited, <laughs> I've, it, I've credited the the authors of, of those tips and I've kind of amalgamated it. Um, and if you look at the references, there's hundreds and hundreds of tips. I've just kind of consolidated them into a few because we don't have much time. And also too much information is too much information. You need those short, snappy, this is what you could do. This is how you can ask mm -hmm. if someone's okay. Um, so over COVID, you know, I've been on so many of these webinars, I've almost picked up tips from other people. So I think as long as you credit the same the same people the way I've credited them as to where you found them, uh, then I'm sure they'll be happy to know that their knowledge and evidence based practice is being used in a in a real life setting. I think the key thing, actually, I mean, posters are great and we're very good at putting posters places, but it's kind of. Some of those things we need to try out. So, Juliet, pick out a couple and try them out tomorrow morning because then you start actually doing the things that you need to do, like being kind to somebody and asking them how they are and not just saying something like, it's very tempting to say, you're okay, you're okay, aren't you? Rather than saying, how are you? See, so the idea of these open questions that come along no, that was fabulous. I'm just checking another another comment. So thank you for that, Sally. Uh, Rhiannon Marie, for me in Wales, it would be great not to have our bursary and student loan counted as income from universal credit. Universal credit is big in the news at the moment, isn't it? Because they're taking away that £20. It forces us to work to pay for our expenses because the bursary, etc., is taken away which once again adds even more pressure. That's absolutely so, Rihanna. Um, and now Caroline No says, how do we engage managers to understand our clinical workload? I guess it depends. I know Sally will probably answer on this. So I'll give it to Sally. Um, well, I think a lot of what Deepa was saying was it's communication. Communication is key. And I think, you know, it's really easy to forget sometimes that we are all actually on the same team <laughs> there's no kind of there shouldn't be anyway you know any factions of midwives managers clinicians academics against each other we're all working together I certainly try and be inclusive and I, and I think if you can communicate that with your manager and remember that they are on your team, you are on their team and also to be fair they've probably got pressures that we don't know about they've we've got pressures that they don't know about and it's a two-way thing but ultimately i think if we could all remember we're on the same team and keep that line of communication open um perhaps there is some feedback loop about you know do you realize the pressures we're under yes i do but i can't do anything because i've got this pressure over here um, and i think that would 
increase everyone's understanding and some and some generate some compassion around what people are dealing with because you know I really do believe we're all of the same team brilliant well because we need to be compassionate for our managers as well beautifully yeah. put and I think you and Deepa complimented each other brilliantly so thank you so much for joining us this evening um, if you, I know that um, Sally is probably going to go on to social media after this and have a look at some of your comments. So thank you very much to both of you for, for joining us. Um, and I will say that resources are still available on the website and you'll get everything coming through on Facebook on Friday. And next week, I think we've got now, what have we got on the programme? Something delicious somewhere. No, you're going to have to find out. So I put it on a bit of paper and it's not here. You'll just have to wait and see something delicious. But in the meantime, stay safe and well. Look after yourselves and your loved ones. Practice one of one or two of those um, key tips that Sally drew out in one of her slides. Practice what Deepa was saying with your water bottles. Make sure you're fully equipped, preferably not plastic if you can help it. Um, also, do remember to book for the Maternity and Midwifery Festival on the 23rd of November. That's the Scottish Festival. There's also a Student Experience Festival on the 10th of November, which is going to be really exciting. That's based in, in Manchester. And Midwifery Education Conference also uh, on the 10th of November. So it's really exciting. So I'll say good night to you. I'll see you next Wednesday, every Wednesday for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. And just to say good night, be safe and stay well. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.